Welcome to Requiem of the Outcast, coming to you live via your computer every month, bringing all the best in fan audio, web reviews, and all the tips and tricks for creating and promoting your projects. We're here to help you tell Hollywood, hey, nice try, but we'll take it from here. All right, welcome everybody. This hey, why is... do you always get to do the welcome everybody? Okay, well, if you, you'd like to do that, go for it. All right, welcome everybody to the eighth episode of Requiem of the Outcast, otherwise known as the Lazy Episode. Yeah, but this is the sixth good one. That's true. If not the best one. Uh, well, yes, because of our stellar interviewees. We keep getting better and better with age. We do. We're like a fine wine or a Because apparently or a I or wine like, a lot. Or like Barbara Eden. Yeah. <laughs> She's a genie in a bottle. She's a genie in a bottle. I dream a genie, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 Major Nelson, not so much. She no. wasn't allowed to show her belly button on TV. That's why her, that's why her that's outfit, a, like, went so high. And I think that that's one of the great, great shames of our time, that Barbara <laughs> Eden wasn't allowed to show her belly button on TV. And yet, and yet, Larry Hagman went on to have a career in television for, like, 20 or 30 years. There's something wrong there. You know, but we never got to see his navel, fortunately. Thank yeah, thank the Lord. <laughs> he is a good God, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is an awesome God. <laughs> okay. Everybody gather around, sing Kumbaya. <laughs> All right. Uh, we need to keep this short because we have lots of stuff going on right now in our lives, which is why we're lazy. Yeah, we we pretty much didn't do a regular episode. Um, we we keep saying it's because we've got this great interview, but that's not the only reason. We've We've got Con Carolinas coming up uh, June 4th through 6th in Charlotte. Go if you can. Go! You can it, see how hot I am. <laughs> yes, or another reason why we're, uh, why we're kind of taking a month off is because um, I'm currently working on the Requiem of the Outcast website. The URL is forthcoming. We haven't really decided ultimately what it's going to be. And uh, you'll be able to see how hot Janine is there because we'll have more pictures Plus, you will get to see Rich modeling the uh, Requiem of the Outcast thong. You know, you know what? what? You, know, no, no, you know what? <laughs> Actually, no. That's going on the pay site. <laughs> you know, the Requiem of the Outcast after dark. <laughs> yeah. I just realized something. What's that? I'm tired of being the sexy one and the hot one. Ron, I think it's your turn. Yeah, Ron, we For voted. this episode, you're the hot one. It's, it's your turn. I do look really good in a miniskirt. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, but you really should take it off. It doesn't translate well over radio. <laughs> Rich, you keep trying to get me to take my miniskirt off. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's your dashing Aragorn style good looks. <laughs> he is handsome. Oh, we God. just got him some Aragorn armor too at this last Renaissance fair from. Uh, ooh, what was the name of the company? Not a clue. I think it's Griffin Works. Yeah, Griffin Works. You should check out their website www.griffinworks.com. This guy makes some amazing leather stuff. That sounded bad. Uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff and armor. Yeah. <laughs> Bring no, out the gill. He makes no, no, no. <laughs> Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> he makes, like, you know, leather, um, those little armbands. He makes leather jerkins. <laughs> that doesn't sound good either. <laughs> and, and what would one of those be? What would a jerkin be? Well, you know, like that thing that Legolas wears in Lord of the Rings? Hey, wait a second. I didn't, didn't see Lord of the G-Strings, all right? When, <laughs> I don't know. She's talking about leather things that go on your wrist. and <laughs> Boy, is that named kind of appropriate. Anyway, griffinworks.com. Yeah, they make nice stuff. 
<laughs> you must be over 18 to view their website. <laughs> kind of like when I was on Bourbon Street in New Orleans yeah. recently. That was part of the reason we couldn't record. Because I spent the first couple weeks of April um, on a On Bourbon Street. On Bourbon Street <laughs> in New Orleans. Well, we had to go down there to fish her out of the gutter. But <laughs> no, but I must say thank you very much for my SpongeBob beads yeah. that you got me. Do you know how many times I had to flash my boobs to get those? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I bought them in a store. Yeah, you know you can buy those nowadays. You know? <laughs> I bought them. And it really only works during Mardi Gras. Oh, there's no, not actually. a law that keeps women from buying beads, actually. No. <laughs> you got to earn them. The beads, the boob flashing happens every night. And I, there was not one really? night in Bourbon Street that I didn't see a pair of boobies. Woman Road trip to New Orleans. <laughs> Coming soon, Requiem of the Outcast, uh, Gone Wild, the <laughs> New Orleans edition. Requiem of the Outcast, Booby Hue. You just see a lot more boobies during Mardi Gras. <laughs> oh, gosh. First, we are going to be at Con Carolinas, and what are the dates on that, Janine? Okay, apparently I was told I got the dates wrong last time, so it's like Friday... June 4th, um, and Saturday the 5th, and Sunday the 6th, and Harry Potter, the third one, comes out that same time. I can't remember if it's going to come out on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, but it's like around then, too. And we're going to be recording there? Is that correct? We'll be recording Yes, live. we're going to bring the camcorder into Harry Potter, so look forward to that on the website coming up. Nice. Oh, no, no, wait. No, no, no. no. We buy no, those no, in piracy. China, you see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to be recording at Harry Potter. Oh, we're no, going to be recording no. at Con Carolinas. At Con Carolinas, yes. Um, actually, we're going to be getting a lot of fodder for our uh, upcoming shows. We'll be um, doing some fan uh, speaking with a bunch of fan force um, uh, city reps, as well as uh, an audio panel there. Um, speaking to other audio creators. Um, I, I don't know if I'm hosting, but I know I'm collecting fan films. Now, who for else Con is going to be on that audio panel? Um, there's, gosh, there's actually going to be quite a few people um, that that are not only uh, traveling in, you have no idea, um, but out, out outside of the area, and um, some He's people so that live in the city. <laughs> he and, has um, no idea. And no, I don't want to mention his name. <laughs> Come I on, to, no, on. we're not going to have an episode free. I, I want to have at least one Butler free episode. <laughs> Damn you, Mo! Damn you to hell! <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Ah, yes. Oh. Nathan right. Mo Butler. <laughs> hey, Mo! Hey, I'm sharing a room with the guy, all right? Uh, yeah, I don't want to know about that, Rich. Don't ask, don't tell. So, um, I'm going to be on a lot of the costuming panels. Yes. And yes, I will be are. premiering my... I don't know how many of you have seen Return of the King, but uh, the green coronation dress that Arwen wears at the end, I'll be premiering that. Ron will probably not be dressing up. He may or may not wear his Aragorn armor. He hasn't decided yet. Guess it all depends on comes yeah. in. Yeah, it, it depends on how lazy I feel at the given moment. Because he may go do the costume contest at the very least with me. Yeah, yeah if you have the armor, I think you really should. So. I might wear it for about an hour. Or two, as long as the cost, and then the change back into 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 my new Requiem of the Outcast T-shirt. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Well, actually, we're not going to have T-shirts for ourselves. We're going to have snazzy polos. Yeah, right. you guys are right. going to be cool. But there will be T-shirts that will say "Are you an outcast?" and they're going to be really hip and really cool. And you should go get one. And everybody's going to want one. Oh yeah, you'll be the coolest kid on the block. That's right. Yeah, you'll be the cat's pajamas. 
the cat's pajamas, huh? Yeah, is that the right phrase? I don't, <laughs> cat's, think, I don't think cat's, the cat's meow. Yeah, no, wait, the there's cat's something That's meow. a bar on Bourbon Street. It's the karaoke cat's meow. bar. It's karaoke no bar. Yeah. If you want to ever go somewhere to see absolutely drunk people look like complete idiots, the cat's meow is your kind of place. Yeah, it's really funny, too. I was really, because I don't drink, so I was really entertained on Bourbon Street, <laughs> watching people be stupid. And they have really good food there, too. I yes, ate like Bourbon Street chicken. Food. Uh, no. No. No, really? No, I ate at Louis the Sixteenth one night. I ate at Quarter Two Sisters another. Man, I got like a $40 steak at Louis the Sixteenth, and it was Jeez. one of the best steaks I've ever had. I, I could cut it with a butter knife. I would imagine for $40. Well, I wasn't paying for it. It all went on the government card. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you were paying for it. <laughs> and you, and you, and you... And Whoa. all of you listening were paid for my forty dollars steak. Don't know much, but I know Willie Nelson wasn't. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Well, so we're gonna, um, of course, come out and see us at Con Carolinas. Um, we'll be doing at least three separate panels there, as well as emceeing the Stormtrooper Minuteman contest. Oh, which Ron will probably be premiering. Ooh, Do we maybe. make it be a secret? Maybe he can well, come in last place at the Stormtrooper Minuteman contest. Maybe some explanation of what that contest is. <laughs> yeah. well, let's put it this way. We don't know. No, I know what it is. I what oh, it is. What is it then? Um, I was speaking with Cindy, um, who's kind of running all this stuff. The Stormtrooper Name dropper. Name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who Cindy is. She's just coordinating this. Well, she's, I Cindy? don't even know if she's going to be there. Cindy Talent, she does a lot of stuff with conventions. That sounds like a made-up name. And she is a very Talent talented relations. woman for that. For that matter. Anyway, the Minuteman contest is a contest where apparently um, all these guys with Stormtrooper armor uh, have all their armor on the ground, and then I guess when someone says go, they're competing to see who can get it on the fastest. Oh, I'm not going to be in that. <laughs> yeah. It'll be your first time putting it on, man. You'll have like a boot on your head. Do I, do I look like a trained monkey? <laughs> Don't answer that question. <laughs> Here you go, Chim Chim. You are kind of hairy. <laughs> hey. Uh, so we're going to be emceeing that. Um, we're probably going to be uh, taking part in a lot of stuff. Also, if you have a fan film that you would like shown at a convention, email me um, as soon as you can so there's time for me to uh, get the uh, fan film at rich at starwarsfanworks.com or you can go into um, one of our threads at either theforce.net or galacticsenate.com, and uh, PM me there, let me know. Um, we'd like to show off all of these uh, fan films, as many as we can, there. And I'll send you the form that's uh, uh, necessary uh, for playing it. So far, I've got a few fan films, um, not a whole lot, and uh, I need as many as possible. So go ahead and uh, send them, uh, just send me an email, and I'll get in touch with you, and uh, make sure you get uh, my address to mail them to me. And I've got uh, the ones that I do have are excellent. So. And we will treat the same <laughs> care and niceness and, and uh, unjudgmental viewing of them as we do with all the fan films and audio dramas we see and listen to. Yeah, that's going to encourage them to send them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, I'm not saying they're just going to... You know, I, I'll definitely contact you and ask if you'd like us to review it um, on the air. Um, <laughs> no, you send it to us. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we won't ask. We'll just do it anyway. No, no, no. You only get the... All kidding aside, the big in-depth interviews only happen, but, like... 
if we, first of all, if we feel like we should. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if you're not going to have a serious problem with this doing it. If you're going to have a serious problem with this doing it, we may still do it and just not care. But Yes, in case you don't know what we're referring to is that we've got two different types of reviews. Um, one that we did, we tested out last month where we do a completely in-depth analyzation of everything in that particular fan audio um, or fan film. And we, we did it because... We started with uh, Rise of Nobility and Second Strike, which I contacted uh, either the corrector or the... Uh, corrector, the creator or director, and they were completely fine with it. And we went so far as to analyze every uh, piece of the audio. And we will also... Uh, and all we the also, voices but Padme's so. <laughs> And we also um, will offer the opportunity for a rebuttal in an upcoming episode. And as a matter of fact, for Rise of Nobility and Second Strike, those rebuttals will appear in next month's episode, uh, which will be a fight-themed uh, episode um, dealing with fight choreography. And aerosol and still sounds like parasol. So, <laughs> and actually, I must say, uh, we have achieved a new level of pop culture uh, on, the, uh, on the boards, uh, which is a huge compliment to us. Not only have we been quoted in other boards... Um, uh, Nathan's name Mo has uh, has been um, uh, realized in other Star Wars radio you said shows. Said it again. Yes, I said it again. <laughs> no, no. What it? No. We couldn't get very far in life without seeing is. And uh, we we have actually been um, put into uh, quotes have been put into somebody else's um, signature on the boards, and actually it was uh, the one that you just mentioned. So. That's uh, that was a really cool thing when I first saw that. So to everybody out there who's doing that, thank you. That's not not only listening but liking us. So it's a good ego you like us, you really like us. Yes, it's a it's a very huge ego boosting thing. And from now on, if we see anybody else doing that, we're going to charge them royalties. So yeah, every time you post, we get five cents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so without further ado, we bring you. The Timothy Zahn, Aaron Alston interview from StellarCon, which took place in March. I Sometime think. in March. I think somewhere around the middle of March. In, in High Point, North Carolina. Yes. Which is where Orson Scott Card lives, one of my favorite authors. And he was not at StellarCon, which pissed me off because I wanted an interview with him. I just wanted to meet him and get like all 50 of my books signed. That's very true. And after the security guards ran us off his property... Um, we don't think that we're going to be interviewing him anytime soon either. Please <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so. not run us off his property. They didn't run us off. They asked us very nicely to leave. And then well, if, you, if, you, if you include the gunshots, I don't really think it was all that nice. No, we're just kidding. We didn't and she's not a stalker. She's just a very extreme fan. <laughs> There's a fine line between that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Parasailing you over like their house. Too. Anyway, here, here is the interview with Timothy Zahn and Aaron Austin. We hope you enjoy it. We had a blast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, Requiem of the Outcast. We are at, uh, what is this comic called again? This is StellarCon. Stellar StellarCon, thank you. StellarCon. Yes, yeah, StellarCon. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm with, I'm with big, famous guys here. They and make so us it forget these things. It's, matter of fact, you guys can introduce yourselves. Oh, we've forgotten. See, they're so, they're so enamored with, with each other well, it's because that they forgot who they it's were. It's because they're with the cast of Requiem of the Outcast. No, yeah, it's probably because not I so am much. so hot. We all know how hot I am, and they're just, they just can't keep their eyes off me. Well, Tim, you were the vanguard. You go first. Uh, this is Timothy Zahn. Uh, Tim Zahn to friends and family. Uh, I've written six Star Wars books. Got 
seventh one in the works, uh, a few other non-Star Wars books. I've uh, been at this thing for about 20 years. I think I'm just about getting a handle on it. <laughs> I'm uh, Aaron Olston. I'm, uh, I've also done six Star Wars books and a handful of short stories, and um, plus several in the non-Star Wars and various other licenses and uh, private universes. And um, my first came out in 88, so I haven't been at it quite as long as Tim, but uh, I'm also starting to get a handle on it. Private universes are awfully lonely, aren't they? They are, but they're but they're favorite babies, you know. But they're yours, yes. and you're the gods of them. Whereas, That's right. Whereas, as my husband was bringing up earlier, in the Star Wars universe, you're only like demigods. Because <laughs> other people can mess around with your characters afterwards. Well, it kind of depends if you buy into the better to rule in hell attitude or not. You know, I, I like playing in, in both mine and, and, uh, and uh, other universes because, you know, other people's universes have interesting play toys, and you can play with them, then set them aside and go back to where you came from. Kind of like being a grandparent. I guess so, yeah. I wouldn't know. No. <laughs> well, neither would Rich. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> His kids are like three and two or something. <laughs> He's got a set of twins. Oh. He's a great man. That was bad planning. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't exactly planning. We'll just <laughs> put it like that. So I guess that is kind of a good segue to... If, by the way, first of all, feel free to... You don't have to just talk Star Wars. We like to talk about all yes. areas of fandom. So if you want to talk about any of your books, go for it. This is to promote you and to promote us, of course, because we're the best... Uh, Star Wars Internet Radio Show recorded at StellarCon on the 20th of March out there on the Internet. We should win an award for that. Yes, we. You, I can't believe we didn't win an award last time. Plus, we have to admire your precision. You know? I'm still bitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a Trekkie. <laughs> the awards committee envies you, you know. We should have gotten one of those awards that Nathan Butler didn't win. Yeah, there like Best Supporting Actors. They weren't. They weren't. This Best is referring actors. to the uh, Star Wars uh, Fan Audio Awards um, mm-hmm. that took place where uh, Nathan Butler of Chrono Radio, who puts on a lot of really good stuff, a phenomenal writer, and um, he <coughs> he won quite a few of awards because he's good at what he does. Yeah. And there are a few other uh, internet radio shows that are predominantly Star Wars um, that, of course, we went up against. And since we were still fresh, didn't have a whole lot of episodes, and we were learning our way, we obviously lost. I think compared they just to don't like us because we made fun of what they did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We're not exactly the most PC of radio. No, he us. is. I'm mean. <laughs> I say it like it is. Which there, is there, are, there are dangers, though, in hitting the top right off the blocks. Where do you go after that? Oh, that's a good point. So you want to build up to this more gradually. You want, you want to be one of those... Uh, you, don't, you don't want to be a 10-year overnight success, but you can be, at least be a, a two-year well, like, overnight learn success. Learn your craft. Well, you like know? Sir Mix-a-Lot. You know, he came out with I Like Big Butts, and he's <laughs> never been able to reach that amount of success again. It's, it's an analogy I would not have come up with on my own. No, you, no, no, I don't think so no. either. I can't believe you... <laughs> You referenced Baby Got Back. What? In an interview with these guys. Hey, they told me before, Mr. Zillan here told me before, they're just people. And I, I don't think that they're people that really listen to a whole lot of Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> oh, she's got, I she's got everything Sir Mix-a-Lot's ever done. He's hiding it back. To be I honest, I've never heard of this. I've <laughs> never heard of I like big butts and I cannot lie. Sorry. And, gentlemen, join and, in if you'd like. And, and, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm struck speechless at this point. No, I'm done. I'm done. It's, rap, it's one of the first rap songs that ever came out. It's, it's, a, oh it's a cult classic. Oh but I'm going to stop. Let's move on. Uh, Question I had for you. When you create characters, like... For your example, Marjade, um, any of your big, or um, that's your big one right there. Yeah. And in your case, anyone who is on Wraith Squadron, how do you feel when other authors come along afterwards and 
do things with your characters, which these characters I've never written, but I'm assuming they're like kind of your children almost, your babies. You created them, and there's almost a piece of you in them, I'm assuming. How do you feel when they take your characters, write them in the stories, and don't do something you would have ever seen them doing, or they write them totally out of character or opposed to what you would want for them to be? Well, to, to pick up on your your baby's uh, analogy, we wrote these things. We, we, we knew we were giving these babies up for adoption. Uh, we know going in that this is a Star Wars book. We're, it's a work for hire. We get paid in advance. We get royalties, but we own nothing of it. Lucasfilm owns everything. And that's the deal you enter into when you write in somebody else's universe. Um, it's awkward. It's difficult to watch your character being taken by somebody who may or may not quite hit your vision of, of that person. Uh, but it's it's the cost, one of the costs we pay for that. And you just if you don't, if you're not willing to do that, you don't agree to write the book in the first place. Okay. Yeah, Tim has been through this a lot worse than I have because Mara Jade was very popular very early on and has had to go through the hands of a bunch of writers, mm-hmm. whereas the uh, Race Squadron novels were almost at the very end of the Bantam tenure, and the Del Rey books that came out subsequently uh, initially didn't really reference the Bantams very much at all, except in the case of you know, Mara Jade and a few other characters. Uh, Corn Horn and a few. So um, I didn't get to experience that uh, very much, which was kind of a disappointment initially because you create something and you kind of want to see it proliferate throughout the universe. Oh, you feel like, oh, I guess they don't like what I wrote. No, I, I knew why it was happening, but there's still that, 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 that feeling that, well, gosh, I haven't made a mark here. Uh, I knew that I had in the, in, on, on the fandom side of things because the fans really liked the work. But um, it was only after a couple of years that references to the, what I had done had start to, started to appear, in, and mostly in the, uh, the quote-unquote nonfiction side of books, the, um, the, uh, you know, the, the guides to Dan Wallace's books, that sort of thing. And that started to be neat. But, um, but when, you're, when your character is in the hands of someone who doesn't really grasp it, that that's difficult. You just kind of have to bite your lip and hope the character returns to normal after a while. <laughs> or do you ever... I'm oh, sorry. I did have one person uh, on my last tour come up to me and ask me how I dealt with people who don't like Mara Jade. And I told her, well, I, you know, I, I try to find out the reason and you know, discuss it uh, in, a, in a calm way. And, and she said, well, I'm, I'm pretty neutral on her myself, but I've got some friends who really dislike her because <laughs> of this and this and this. And, and I told her, well, those happen in somebody else's books. She's your brainchild. She didn't seem to grasp the distinction that I don't claim credit or blame for anything Aaron or Mike or anybody else does. And people, it's not all blame. I mean, there's some people have done a very good job with Star Wars in general, and Mara in particular, but I can't claim anything of that, and, and please don't blame me or credit me for anything somebody else has done as well. Yeah. Now, how do you feel with, uh, there is a young lady walking around here at the convention that is dressed as Mara Jade, mm-hmm. or one of the you know, popular uh, That's one of the convention ever. coordinators, in fact, Tara yes. Pitts, or Tara Fulbright. Tara Fulbright, oh, okay. yes. Well, how do you feel about seeing one of your, uh, your characters that you created, um, you know, obviously loved by the fans enough to be put in fan films, uh, and also to you know, dress up and walk around at a convention? Oh, it's a very cool feeling, and, and very weird at the same time, uh, as Aaron was talking about, uh, the concept of having fans when we know we're just ordinary people who happen to have a high-profile job. Uh, its You never know when you're writing if what you're writing is going to connect with the readers, or at least I don't. I, I, I know I'm doing the best job I can do, but 
whether the readers are going to like it or whether it's going to hit that resonance that's mm-hmm. going to make them adopt the character is something I can't tell up front. And it's, a, it's a, an amazing, gratifying, and yet a little bit frightening feeling when something, somebody like Mara J takes off the way she has. You want your characters to be popular with the readers. You really do. On the other hand, you don't want your characters or world or situations or anything to be more popular with them than their own lives. And sometimes I worry when I see uh, really extreme fans that uh, that their own personal real lives are less important to them than their experiences with fiction because yeah. that's not healthy, it's not good, and it's I think it's, it's dangerous. So I want them to like my stuff. I want them to like it within a perspective. You, you want know. them to like it on the weekends, is what you're saying. Basically, yeah, that's a good way. To There's look a at difference it. between loving your characters and loving your characters. Yeah. yeah, but but of course, what we see when we see the characters dressing up most of the time is at conventions, which mm-hmm. is the weekend, and they go back to their regular lives. Yeah. So you can't judge how obsessed somebody is by what they're doing at the convention. This right. is this is the vacation, the break, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. I did have letters once from uh, a woman who thought she was Mara Jade. Oh, you're oh. kidding me. No, she, oh. was, she was writing through the publisher. I never answered her back, oh. so she, she never had an address to find me. But occasionally the letters would keep coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, were, there were some where she uh, was telling me she now had proof of the CIA implant in her, her, her head and... Uh, various things like that. So, uh, but that's that's the extreme. Most of the time, it's very clear that people at the convention are having the, having a good the fun time. of make believe yeah. for yeah. a weekend uh-huh. before going back to their regular life, and that's just that's just great. I yes, mean, it is. Most right. of the Star Wars fans I've gotten to know are professionals <coughs> in one way or another, mm-hmm. whether they're lawyers, uh, emergency room physician, military people. Mm-hmm. Um, Computer nerds. Computer people, uh, you know, just people who are... are I'm messing are with you, Rich. <laughs> well, why not? Mess with them. Yeah, I always do. Normally our episodes are a lot more of... Of abusive or <laughs> <laughs> Mostly our episodes are Janine being abusive to Rich and myself alternatively. Yeah. That's because everyone at work makes fun of me, so I have to get it. It's the producer that gets the brunt. Yeah. Really. That's what it is. He always, the and producer always okay. catches it. Hey, watch Regis and Kathy Lee, or Regis and Kelly. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. You. That guy, uh, <laughs> Philbin. No. Rich, that's you know Regis his name. Regis' last name. No, you know Gell- his, Geller. You know Gelman. his name. Gelman, that's what it was. You know his name. That's sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, moving right along. We'll have intervention later. Um, Unless you had more answer that you wanted to continue. (laughs) If I had, I'm sure it's gone. Actually, I have a a question for you. Yes. Um, When you create a character, uh, actually, it's for both of you. When when you create a character, do you uh, do you base that character on? A lot of times, somebody that you know in your personal life, or maybe um, a conglomerate of different uh, aspects of different people you know, or do you try to try to uh, kind of create that person from scratch and just kind of try to avoid bringing in people that you know in your life? Well, inevitably, anybody, at the very least, anybody you create is going to be based on a conglomerate because uh, because if to create a realistic character, you have to base it you have to base it on realistic behavior, and realistic right. behavior is something you understand from watching people all across your life. So um, there there are going to be you know two types. There are going to be conglomerates or people that are based on individuals, but they're all going to be based on real human interaction you observe through through your life. 
so yeah, you can't just create them out of out of pure scratch. I mean, even if you're creating a, an utterly alien race, you're going to have to base it on some sort of paradigm that you're familiar with, insectile behavior, for example, right. or uh, or uh, or some other you know odd organism that uh, that <clears throat> is not really well known in, in by the uh, by the reading public. But it's got to be based on on something because creating from, from a whole 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 cloth and then making it comprehensible to a reader is an almost impossible task. Right. So you almost need to tie it into something familiar at the back of our mind, if anything, so that we mm-hmm. so absorb it and accept it. I yeah. guess what you're saying is inevitably, even with characters that are totally non-human type characters, insectile or otherwise, <coughs> you wind up they wind up having human characteristics to some degree because they're based yeah. upon paradigms that that we would understand as readers. Yeah, and they, they can start with a simple notion. I mean, uh, one of the, m- the favorite characters of the X-Wing novels that I did was, uh, was the Gamorrean pilot Piggy. Oh, and Piggy. <coughs> Piggy! Piggy was not initially conceived as a Gamorrean or as a pilot. The notion that I wanted to pursue with him was we have a character who is the ultimate outsider. He is, he is uh, isolated from his species because he's been altered, so he's not quite like them. He's isolated from the mainstream of, uh, of humanity and other, other species within the New Republic because he, is, he belongs to a race that is normally considered an enemy race. He's, uh, you know, he's isolated from every group that he's in contact with, but the notion with him was to create a, a character who was the ultimate isol- uh, outsider but not a bitter, isolated individual. He was trying as hard as he could to, to be part of the culture to which he you know, now belonged. I wanted to run that as a contrast to the kind of uh, bitter, isolated outsider that you see so often. And the fact that it, you know, I, I chose Gamorrean form because that was convenient, but it could have, could have been any race. But this was a notion that became concrete as we added detail. And, it, and then his behavior became based on that of people I know who are well-adjusted outsiders. Right. So in other words, you based him on Mr. Spock. Um, <laughs> no, not, not, not <laughs> Mr. Spock. Is that some sort of... Stargate. That's the other, yeah, the other white meters. <laughs> to, to a certain extent, I based them on myself, ah. because to a certain extent, I am an outsider. You know, I uh, I, I I grew up somewhat uh, insufficiently socialized, which I try to hide as much as possible, especially at conventions when dealing with real people. But most social situations are very awkward for me, and uh, they become less awkward when they are ritualized in some fashion. Like uh, convention panels are ritualized. I have a role to play up on the up on the panel, or uh, or at events like this, I have a role to play. Keeping abuse on the rest of us at the panel. Right, yeah, right. Okay. Right now, I am pretending to be a writer, which I am, but I'm pretending to be because that's a role and that makes it convenient for me to deal with people. And this kind of thinking went into the creation and the and the writing portrayal of Piggy. And the same kind of process goes into every uh, every character you put together at any level of detail. Yeah, you're gonna. I mean, we as, as Aaron said, we've got. X number of years of interactions and reading about other people. All of this goes into the hopper in the in the back of our mind. We pull out bits and pieces, reconfigure them for all the characters, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you were talking about a little about the connection between, say, your alien race, your your insect race, or whatever. The reader has to have a connection in order to understand to, to really an, an emotional link, especially if, the, if it's some kind of major character. Uh, for example, for Piggy, you've got this uh, outsider feel. Well, we can all understand that. We often yeah. link to it. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems, if you start writing into near, uh, far future stories, you have to keep enough of the current culture and attitudes in the characters, even though 500 years from now, the society may be totally incomprehensible to us, as, as if you're writing about the society in, in uh, 1500, 
there are a lot of things a modern reader just wouldn't understand. It just doesn't make sense. You're going to go to you're going to try to kill each other in a duel over this. Um, but you have to have the emotional connection with the reader, otherwise the reader has no feeling for the characters. And if you, if the if the reader does not care what happens to the characters, you've lost them. You've done you haven't done your job. Yeah. Which I'm very mad at you, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's you, talking to Aaron, not me. <laughs> yes, I'm not talking. Sorry. You keep killing off characters I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate that. Well, you know. I, I mean, you hate it, but you like it because. Believe it or not, I hate it too. And I, I mean, well, they, they these, these characters, these characters die for a reason. It may be a plot-related reason, or maybe a character-related reason, or maybe an expression of their own inner frailty. Um, but the but their mortality is within them. And the thing is, I, I, as I like to tell people uh, and have throughout my career, if you endanger characters without killing them, then there really is no menace, and the readership will, will pick up on this very quickly and realize there's there's no there's there's no tension here. It's all simulated tension. Which is why. Oh, sorry. Uh, actually, I, I come with another approach to that. That rather than having the reader sweating over whether the characters will live or die, I have occasionally killed off characters, but not very often. Rather than making that to the center of their worry, I try to set them into a, we are in a real mess. How, is he, how are they going to get out of this? Yes. The, rather than the survival, go with the problem-solving approach. Yeah. So that, that's my particular approach, because I hate killing them off, too. Well, mm-hmm. I, I guess what I was trying to segue into here was um, everyone, our 25 devoted fans who listen to the show and downloaded it, uh, 25 times each, so we give such high numbers on the internet. Um, they all know that my husband and I are pilots, and one of the reasons I love your X-Wing book so much, and I'm speaking to Aaron at this time. They can't see which direction you're looking. Yes, I know. That's why I'm saying I'm speaking to Aaron. Uh, author of, X, of uh, the Wraith Squadron series of X-Wing books, um, is they really strike a chord with me personally, because this is something I do on a daily basis. And my husband and I have both had friends die rather yeah. suddenly. Yeah. Um, during the war, we both... Uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about that. But every time uh, a plane goes down in the Marine Corps, um, even in the Air Force, because we have friends across all services because we do a lot of joint training, we're worried. And inevitably, it's someone we know or it's someone who, um, someone in our squadron who they were close with. And it's very hard for us. And so... When I read your books, I love it because not only do you write the pilots well, mm-hmm. you're true to, the, to the, the types they are. And when you write them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's in my squadron, that guy's in my squadron, <laughs> that guy's in, oh, yep, that's him, oh, that's her. <laughs> you know, and um, so you write them very, very well. You do the banter between them very well. The jokes that they do, like we had a kangaroo court last night. I'm not going to go into what happened there. I'm going to get us in trouble. But a lot of that stuff that you write in your book or you hint at. The kangaroo was up for pickpocket? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, better than that, no. Um, but when you have your character suddenly die, I hate it. Yeah. Because I feel like a part of me has been ripped out, but by the same token, it's so realistic. Well, there's the, um, the thing is, if you're writing fiction in which people are endangered, you're going to write fiction in which people die. At that point, you have only one choice. To choose between killing the characters uh, who are not important to anybody and killing those who are. If you kill only characters who are not important to anybody, then where's the emotional engagement? They're the red-shirted ensign from mm-hmm. Star Trek yeah. who, I mean, people, you know they're going to die. People oh, will, will instinctively know that this war only kills people who don't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we need to be saying about war. I mean, I was accused once of uh, writing war porn, which would be you know any, any, any fiction that, um, that uh, glorifies... Uh, military exchanges to the to the point of uh, sexual satisfaction, 
and it really shocked me because uh, I, I don't I don't particularly care for uh, for armed <laughs> conflict between nations, uh, and in fact the whole theme of the three race squadron novels I did was forgiveness. You know what happens to us when we deny it to ourselves, and what happens to it when we, to us when we deny it, deny it to each other, and that's not exactly the kind of theme you you anticipate for war. Uh, you know military fiction or, or especially war porn, um, and so. If you're going to suggest that war is not the best way to accomplish something, you don't want to just then knock off the people that don't matter. They have to be important to the readers for them to feel something, to, 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 to arrive at the realization that this conflict is not a good thing. And I think, um, I don't know about you, actually I do, I remember, uh, I've started reading the Star Wars books when I was about 14, and just uh, series of books came out, Heart of the Empire and all that stuff, of course written by Mr. Don here, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and they were great, they were wonderful, and then I read, you know, The Truce at Bakura, and on and on and on and on, and one of the things that I kept noticing is that Han, Luke, and Leia, and Chewie were always getting in trouble, Han, Luke, and Leia were always getting in trouble, Lando was there, everybody's getting in trouble, everybody was almost dying, almost dying, almost dying, almost dying, nobody died, it got old, and I read them, I force myself to read some of these books. I stopped reading. He stopped reading. I and my husband, like he I, I have read. I have <laughs> I, I, mean, have I read a lot, but I never read any. the only the only Star Wars books that, that I've read actually are the, the, the Thrawn trilogy. Mm-hmm. I made him read them and I'm working very hard to get him to read those X Wing ones those because words. I'm like your I pilot will, you'll I wish you all them. luck in this, yes. yes. I will prevail. <laughs> Give me a couple more years and I will prevail. Okay. It'll only take three I will say I will say that I absolutely love the Thrawn trilogy. Thank I think you. that was that was a great trilogy. So and I actually got him to read the duology and occasionally he'd have to go Hey, sweetie, what's this referencing? Because, you know, of course, he missed yes. what had happened between all of them. She told me I had to go back to read those, and I was like, wait a second, Luke and Marl, what the heck? And then the comic. Oh, yes, the comic. The comic. Union. Yeah. But um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is the Star Wars books lost a lot for me, and I know for a lot of fans, because nothing was happening. And then Chewie died. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I got out. there you go. Yeah. yeah. And that was, and unfortunately, that's the rejuvenation in my eyes that it needed. Mm-hmm. Other than these great offshoot series that are focusing on some of the lesser-known characters, right. and the the short story books that also focus yeah. on building some of your peripheral characters. Um, anyway, next question because I'm doing most of the talking. Well, We're actually, one, one of the uh, literature, literature talking about <laughs> killing people off. One of my touchstones on this sort of uh, how to do this would be. Probably an unlikely source, Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third Die Hard movie. <laughs> Which I very much, I, I, I've enjoyed those. Those are fun. There's, I mean, oh, yeah. eye candy or brain candy or something. But, but <laughs> brain think about, can, maybe. Well, but think about what, what <laughs> I agree with think you. about the setup. Just think about the setup in Die Hard 3. You know Bruce Willis is going to live. You probably know, it's, it's fairly good chance that Samuel L. Jackson will live. So what do you do? You bring in the bomb squad people, peripheral people that by the time of the climactic bombs thing, you care about these people. Yeah. And you have no guarantees on them. Hmm. Willis will live. Jackson will probably live. These people could die. Yeah, they so did, rather they did than a good job of demonstrating that the tubby demolition expert who is in front of the bomb as it's, uh, yeah. as it's starting to trigger is the real hero of that sequence. Yeah. But but by making the peripheral characters, bringing them and having that emotional attachment mm-hmm. created with the viewer, 
now you're back to where you're thinking. Now we care about these people. Now we don't want them to die, and right. we don't know that they won't. Right. Kind so of like that, in aliens. Yeah. We know everyone but uh, the main character. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know which of them. All, you know, probably the rest of them are going to die but her. You're well, up, she ends up dying once, but they bring her back. Up, well, well forget one. that one. That's, That's the third yeah. one. That one, never, that one never happened. <laughs> yeah. that one. Yeah. But, but you see my point. Even if you've got your main character, Sacrosanct, yeah. you can still create some of this tension yes. by bringing in alternative uh, extras and connecting those with the reader. Now, you've done that. I mean, you, you weren't going to be allowed to kill off Luke or Wedge. Right. But you've got other characters there, and there's and no the, guarantees And even with the established characters, if you, if you set up initially, they have a specific goal that is tremendously important to them, and you endanger that goal, then, you know, the, the, the possibility for your favorite character suffering mightily uh, in the short term, perhaps medium or long term, it exists, and you care about that. Again, my problem-solving approach, yes. rather than yes. life or death thing. Yes. Speaking of that, I don't know if you're allowed to answer this or not, but are you allowed to kill off Mara Jade? I would never kill her off, even if I was allowed I Just to. out of curiosity, because obviously you're, I don't know this, but uh, I'm assuming you know there are limits. You can't kill. You can't kill somebody's characters. character without their permission. It was the way Bantam set it up. I'm not sure if Del Rey had the same sort of thing. Um, I'm just saying, you can't kill Luke, you can't kill Han or Leia, right. and the, I the heard Wedge. The movie characters are Lucasfilm's property. They will tell you if they want, if you, if they right. want them or allow them dead. And that's why I heard that Chewie was allowed to be killed off, just because of the fact that he was somebody that was close to the heart, but really wouldn't impact the overall, impact the, uh, the temporary, obviously affect Han, Leia, affect yeah. the main character. But in the overall, you know, at that point in time, he was a non-essential character. He was an over-glorified babysitter, unfortunately. Because, yeah. you know, everybody else was off on adventures, he'd be stuck with the twins. Yeah. And, of course, Anakin. Well, for my, in my defense, I put him doing that because I had no spot in the Hand of Thrawn duology for Chewie. Well, oh. but, so, but that's, that's why he never showed up. Yes. No, it wasn't you, though. It was everybody else yeah. did the same thing. So it was almost like that's just kind of, that was the role he ended up fitting. Whether it was your decision or anybody's decision, it's just the role he sort he just fell into, and so with the, you know the one final act of heroism, it kind of it brought him back to everybody's you know uh, to the forefront, and then it, it was so much more powerful. Chewbacca desperately needed his own series away from Han. We needed to have a paw of Chewbacca series where he would uh, where he would have his own goals, his own adventures. Are you listening, Mr. Lucas? And, uh, and didn't they make a holiday episode? No, right. by then? no, that does not exist. Lucas has said so. <laughs> but the, the, the you read that. The dialogue wouldn't have been that great, would it? It would have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you were writing the, no, uh, the novels all in, uh, all, in the, uh, all in the Kashyyyk languages, then you would, have, you would be rendering them, rendering them in, in a fashion the reader could understand. It in, the not just be in the original Wookiee. In the original Wookiee, that's right. In the original Wookiee. <laughs> and had that happened, had he had his own life, Perhaps he would have he would have survived the uh, the start of the of the, um, of the Jedi Order and somebody else would have died. But that never happened. He was extraneous. Sad to say, he was well beloved, yes. and I'm not saying he shouldn't have been, no. but he was extraneous. The world's biggest stuffed animal, basically. Yeah. Well, the prob- yeah part part of the problem was that Lucasfilm's people would occasionally glom onto something and not really want it changed. Uh, there, there was a in the Hand of Thrawn. I tried to make. Leia not president of the New Republic and they said but she's going to be president later on and she's president in the books before yours and my thought is so I mean people step down from office all the time take a leave of absence and that's what I had to do basically leave of absence because as president she is limited theoretically in what she can do 
uh, I mean, you don't have President... If, if President Bush's daughter was in danger, he and Laura would not rush off to rescue her. The Secret Service would sit on the necessary. I mean, it's, just, it's just not the way... It's just not the way the head of state is allowed... That would be my job... No, but I mean, I'm saying that's not the, the way the head of state is allowed to act in the real world. That's right. By making her president essentially for life, you should have limited her ability to be an adventurer a lot more. She can do what she wants. Janine, Janine, I'd just like to say that your job would be to give gas to the guys. Who yes, thank you for reminding everyone <laughs> that I'm a glorified gas station attendant at 20,000 feet in the sky. That's yes. all right, Ron. You'd I, be carrying the memo telling her that that's she needs true. to be yeah. Okay, yeah. You're in the pressure right now. He's an adjutant right now for a colonel. You gotta love our groundside jobs. I at least get to plan our future missions. I would draw the tech manuals that would repair there. Yes, he does draw our tech manuals. And Aaron and I would pay the taxes that pays you guys. Sure. Thank you. You, you know guys, what? We're all part you guys of would write the books that she would be reading when she's supposed to be flying, mm-hmm. when she's got the other That's guys flying. That's when George is flying. That lived in the house of Jack built. It's like the circle of life. It's, it's that whole six degrees thing. Katana you know, or whatever that is. Okay, now I have to throw myself on my sword. <laughs> I bet you guys didn't know that all the autopilots, at least in the Marine Corps, and as far as I know, the Air Force are named. We call I him, did not know that. We call him George. Mm-hmm. And ah. so whenever you hear, oh, George is flying, and I think it's probably in the airlines too, that's from the autopilot. Oh, these are autopilots. How about the plane pilots? Oh, the plane mind. pilots. Oh, the the that's when we put our charts up <laughs> over the windows, and then we set our laptops, um, try to balance them so they're not hitting the throttles, and we put in our DVDs, <laughs> make sure we're not losing altitude. <laughs> makes you feel good about those tax dollars, then. <laughs> yeah. You know we pay taxes, too, so we kind of pay ourselves. Well, why don't you give yourself a raise? You're doing it. Yeah, hey. just pay in some more and get more back. I get a raise in June. Four years. All right. Sorry, we're digressing again. We do this a lot. I like the it's story okay. about the the uh, the army guys. This is back in the probably the fifties. The army guys who were being transported by a, an Air Force jet and were making nervous comments. I think it's the first time many of them have flown, making nervous comments about about flying and the uh, the Air Force's ability. So about midway through the flight, the the uh, pilot who had been hearing all of this left the the plane in the hands of the of the co-pilot. Stepped out back into the into the cabin, holding uh, unro- unrolling a, a, uh, a ball of string, and handed the string to one of the the, the soldiers sitting alongside. I, think I know where this Hold is this for me. Went to the back. You know, stood there a couple. Of, went back to the, the yeah, probably the the, uh, the head back there. Oh, geez, And then came back. Story. Thanked him, took the string back, and went back to the cockpit. <laughs> I mean, like, all these soldiers are looking at him, watching, holding the string. What is going on? Just oh quiet, my God! We'll all crash and die. Oh Please God. put that somewhere in a book. Either <laughs> of you. That's, have a shuttle. That's, Whatever. That's the thing. It, which, it, it, Pilots have. I have a practical joker in uh, Angel Mass who does little things like that. You, know? yeah. you have oh, many well, practical pilots, jokers in your book. Pilots That's because I have many of them in my life. <laughs> of anybody you will ever meet. I mean, pilots will do things to each other that if somebody did to you out in the world on the street, you would call the cops or something and uh, consider it to be a practical joke. You know what it's they think is incredible. funny? <laughs> is when the new green co-pilots decide they're going to go in the back to pee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they put the flight engineer, one of the navigators in the seat who've never flown, and so they're doing this. <laughs> trying to stay on altitude, and of course the guys are in the back trying to pee in a little tube. As you know, it doesn't work out well. <laughs> they don't do that for me because I get mad. 
Now, do you yeah. gentlemen have some place that you need to be? Because right now it's it's a quarter after four. No, you're stuck with us. No. Okay. Oh, all right. I'm perfectly fine with that. I've got plenty of tape. Not a problem. But I just didn't want to take you guys away from. You. I'm in heaven right now. I'm talking to two. We are. I think. The Even though I was your second choice, of course. You guys need to tell the story about how choice, this got set second up. Second choice for yes. two reasons. Okay. You well, were there. You, first you, of all, I'll tell how I got set up since I was there. But I need to explain why you're my second choice for two reasons. He writes pilots. First reason, he writes pilots, and he writes them very well. Second reason, and you would win over Stackpole for this one. Why? Thank you. He has the same hair as me in real life. And i got to love someone who's got a fro as good as mine. Mine's a bit longer. He's, he's got his kind of tucked up underneath there. So that's why it doesn't look as long and luxurious. No, this is obviously a wig I'm wearing. <laughs> no, I have a very black, um, tight curled hair yeah. like his. So I'm always happy when I see someone else. I used to have very black hair. Never mind. Well, actually, I have a great picture of Still you do. here. Yeah, yeah, look at that. Yeah, that was my, my. I was young and foolish. Of course, it's a black wow. and white picture, so I don't know. So it's naturally black. Oh, look at that. <laughs> naturally black, yes. I see the goatee is still there, though. Yes. Is goatee an author thing? Actually, you, when, you, when you sign on to become a writer, you, you are obliged uh, to have a goatee. I need to start it's writing. hard on the women. <laughs> yeah, you need to start writing. We, uh, th- there was an old Smothers Brothers song on the streets of Laredo. It starts you know, I, I, doing the Streets of Laredo song, and, and the second verse coming in, I see by your outfit that you are a cowboy. I see by your outfit that you are one, too. I see, we see by our outfits that we are both cowboys. If you buy an outfit, you can be a cowboy, too. So one, at one point I said to Aaron, let's see, did you, you didn't have a goatee at the time, or Mike? Oh, I, it was I Mike who yeah. did it. I say, yeah, Mike, you know, if you're going to be an author, you've got to have a goatee. Mm-hmm. He had the, the more a full beard at the yeah. time. And so Aaron wrote, uh, do you remember the, the line on that to the streets of Laredo? Oh, no. I, I, I don't see by called. your goatee that you are yeah, an author. author yeah. I see that... Uh, I see by your implant that you work for Lucas. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yes, I, you remember those, and we can get. Uh, I, I have it. I have it. I have it printed somewhere on my computer at home, and I doubt that it will ever see the light of day. Oh. <laughs> oh. Not actually, even was, for us. It was actually the first and only song I've ever filmed. Puppy if, dog. Puppy if dog Rich pout. Come on, puppy dog you, pout. You no. <laughs> I, think I might run. Puppy dog. Little pout. What you have to understand puppy is dog I, pout. I've she dealt goes. with editors for 20 years. I'm immune to guilt. <laughs> it takes money now. Sorry. <laughs> I already take his money from him. Why am I going to try to give it back? You probably get, what, like five, ten cents on every book you guys write? Well, it depends on who's publishing it, but um, it could, like, could, so could be a quarter, you know. If I buy one book, you guys get a we get We get some Yeah, I already coin. paid you guys lots of money. Yeah. Well, that's there true. you go. Well, you see, your you job is to, is to read them until they, until they fall apart and buy more. Yeah, see, my paperback, that's why I like hardback. My paperback X-Wing ones have been read through three times now. Mm-hmm. The only, you guys should both feel very honored. I'm, I'm honoring you greatly here, and I know this means a lot to you. Yours and Mr. Stackpole's books, who I wish you were here, so I could tell this to him too, are the only books that I have reread in the Star Wars universe. Cool, thank you. The other ones are either annoying, or I don't really care either way, or (laughs) they were good, but I don't have the time. So, or I haven't gotten around to rereading them yet, but so, so basi- far, just the three of you. So basically, since this is going on the air, you three are the only ones we're ever going to get interviews with. <laughs> <laughs> so you better agree. Right. You better interview with us again. We'll see. No. Well, that, that is a sign of a good book for me, if I can read it a second or third time yes. and still yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and 
like I said, yours after I read after I became a pilot, mm -hmm. it was different and I got something new out of it. Yours sometimes I just have to reread so I can remember certain things. And there are some books. There's that a I, lot of detail. There are some books that I just have to go back and read again. For instance, the the Foundation trilogy. Yeah. The original three. I just have to go back and read that like once a year or so. See, for me, it's Pride and Prejudice. I got to read that once a year. Cool. Good choice. Favorite book mm -hmm. of all time. Sorry, guys. Quite a <laughs> You can't compete with Jane Austen. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm We've never even tried. Until we <laughs> die, maybe then. You actually have a PM for me back months and months and months and months ago. I discovered your thing on the, the Force.net, so I emailed you that whole pilot thing because I really wanted to know. But now that I've met you in person, you don't have to answer the PM. <laughs> and I have not. Did, you, I didn't I've reply. never seen you on the. I don't have a website. I didn't reply. I to hide my email address. Oh, that's a good idea. Jealously. I'm sorry. I'm, wait, hang on. Two conversations. Uh, uh, yeah, you, okay. you sent me something. I did not reply. Yeah, but it's okay. I think well, the thing you're is, very the thing is, I, no, I eventually do reply to everything I get, so it must have been lost at one end or the other. So I think it was on the message boards at theforce.net. Okay. The message. I didn't email you. It was okay. The message boards okay. at theforce.net. That, that, that's a difference. I, I bailed on the force.net at a certain point. I'll tell you why later. Okay. And oh, I know you don't have a web page because about. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the force.net, and I'll tell you. I looked for a web page on you. So we. I had one started. A friend would talk to me into getting it set up and then she got the domain name locked in and we just never got I, I'm I'm still a little ambivalent about the whole thing mm -hmm. it just it smacks too much of self-promotion and that's always made me uncomfortable and various people have told me that what <laughs> what don't make me a website rich <laughs> rich is making her a website well, for her costume but I mean people have explained to me look it doesn't have to be self-promotion it can be this is information this is where I'm going to be this is the next book coming out etc etc isn't that self-promotion but I've seen too many nice. yeah I've been I've seen too many of the websites that aren't I a wonderful person you should buy my book and read it and buy some for your family as well mm -hmm. that it just it's got a bad taste, but yes. I'm 80% I'm convinced I'm going to have to go ahead and do it. Just an informational. Take, yeah. take a look at my site sometime. I don't know too much blatant self-promotion. It's well, mostly yeah. informational. Yeah, I mean, but it is. that, it makes sense to me. It just the, the, I guess it's the author whose wife runs his fan club that is a... Uh, we won't mention. We won't mention names. Or even I'll run your fan club. Both of yours. <laughs> cool. Do we you have, have a one? great web page designer here. Hey, he's really good. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out a way to bribe my son into working on a web page for me. He's got the tech, he's got the ability, he's got artistic ability. He's interested in doing web design. If he likes the web page idea, I could hire him to develop and run a web page for me. I'm Paul that Corwin is 22. How did you let that happen? We looked away for a few years and suddenly oh. happened. <laughs> Boy, you remember him when he was gawky and well, short, never, never shorter than you. I never saw him shorter than you. No. But, uh, but he was, uh, but he was, he's no longer a teenager. That's weird and wrong. No, yeah, <laughs> profoundly wrong. So Fortunately, I haven't aged any. We've known each other since. <laughs> well, since I started doing. Uh, actually, we met uh, by correspondence way back before anybody knew either of us, because he was selling short stories to a magazine I was editing in the 1980s. Any of them in here? Uh, which were you doing, Space Gamer? Uh, Space Gamer. Yeah. yeah. It was like the the, no, the, the talking sword stories. Yeah. The uh, the gin sword. The gin sword. Right. That's right. There was the the uh, barbarian type whose sword is smarter than he is. <laughs> it's got a, a, a gin locked into it. That sounds very familiar. I had about this four, been, four of those stories. This would have been between eighty one and eighty three yeah. sometime. What is oh. I was trying Simpkins to say, now where did I, I was going to say, I just read a book recently that had a sword that was smarter than the guy, basically, and it would leap into his hand, and he couldn't use it unless it leapt into his hand. And 
No, that wasn't it. No, no. I know it wasn't. I'm right. just saying it reminded oh, okay. me of one I just read. And it, that was the never-ending story, actually. Oh, okay. I read the book book. Yeah. And I didn't realize they only adapted the first half of the book for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. No idea. Okay. It's kind of a good thing, too, because the second half is a little <laughs> slow. Yeah. Sorry. No, We're totally much. going off topic. No, it's, no, it's, it's cool. We're um, so you're loosening up the, your, your interviewees. That's right. She's, oh, she's, she's earning our trust so she can stab us in the back later. No, yes. I was See, never going to do that. It's cheaper than lickering you guys I'm kidding up. kidding you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, uh, this is actually my first interview. If we suspected you were planning to knife us in the back, we wouldn't mention it because then we'd know we were on to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's why we I keep my you. husband around. Mm. He's my bodyguard. That's and you right. notice we've got our backs yeah. to the wall where we can see all three of you. Big, strong got a, got, a, got a view of everything that's going on around. Aces and apes, very smart. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm not <laughs> feeling too hand, comfortable yep. like here. My back's to the door, so I'm feeling really good right now. <laughs> I knew you'd rather sit there. Yeah, let's there, start a poker actually. game. Let's see how nervous he gets. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll just periodically go... <laughs> That's why I keep looking back over my shoulder. I really do have a problem sitting here. You want to sit over here instead? Why don't you come sit here? Then yeah. you can be by me. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't plan it. I'm, j- I'm the technical guy. So He's our producer. Don't, you can leave don't the even book let him. He tells us what to do. Right. Actually, he came over and he was like, it's this internet radio show, and I think it would be a lot more fun if the two of you did it with oh, me. I, I did it by myself. It sucked. It really did. I, just, <laughs> I couldn't maintain the excitement level. It was mm-hmm. just, I was just reading his stuff, and it just there was no... A dynamic. There was no interaction, and to me, that's where a true comedy, yeah, part of energy, sure. comes yeah. from. It's from the reaction yeah. to other people. Yeah. So. Did you mention fees for the interview? Tell you what. I got mine. What do you, what do you want? We'll <laughs> buy you guys <laughs> double what we get paid. All right. Oh yeah, that seems very fair. You're, you can you can have all the royalties from this episode. You can actually, okay? we did kind of pay. Them. We did buy drinks. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's you can right. have fifty percent of our earnings. Yeah, your drink though is yeah. Not I, like well, I usually talk myself out of the profits of anything. So, as, as really, I've, <laughs> as I've told people, you know, before I won my first Hugo, the autographs were free. After that, they doubled in price. <laughs> nice. Some people not get that. Um. It will occasionally take about half a second for them to work, work through the... Ah, okay. No. Most of the time, though, I'm, I'm not pulling it on people who are likely or are, are when you tell them so that? overawed that they're not, they're not going to hear that, what I'm saying. You've when already you engaged people. And, and, and you're, you're sitting there and you've told them that and it's taken them a second. Do you just sit and stare at them? You sit and go... Blink. Blink. Usually, usually you want to milk the crowd so <laughs> until they get more enjoyment of the situation instead of worry the worry the uh, the, the potential victim. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be learning how to work a crowd soon. We've been invited to Con Carolinas coming up yeah, in June as well as Dragon Con. Con so. well, congratulations. This is our only conven- this is our second convention. We've already been invited to Con Carolinas and Dragon Con, mm-hmm. so we're like. Where, where is your interview program? Where did, what is it out of? StarWarsFanWorks.com, the home of Star Wars Internet Fan Audio. Um, cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything yeah, except the GM up there. Yeah, uh, shameless plug. Well, he speaks in his true talk fonts, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we like to do that. We take the normal view, normal view, We're and we big, sing it with something else. Big one of the few, one of the few things I have regretted for ten years is not picking up an item in a dealer room when I saw it. It was a a black plastic stick on the TV screen silhouette. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I, wi- I yeah, you see, I wish I bought it. Oh, 
actually, the um, the uh, Mystery Science Theater 2000 Fan Club has a has a website and a catalog they periodically issue, and they sell things like that. Okay. Keep selling things on a website and other uses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why you need one? Well, actually, we do pick up remaindered books uh, when the uh, hardcovers and such. That would probably be a good way to do that. There are a lot yeah. of there are a lot of good reasons. Fine, mm-hmm. okay. Have we convinced you? Well, the other the other thing is I've lost lost the uh, the domain. Have you? Timothyzon.com has been picked up by somebody else. I mean, they there probably want to charge you an arm and a leg to get it back. They've never contacted me, but I could do timothyzonauthor.com. Well, the first thing to do is to the first thing to do is to contact timothyzon.com.net.org. Yeah, one is true. .us, .biz. You can't do .mil though. Sorry. Too bad you can't do .gov. But the first thing to do is contact them and see if they if they've parked it for for nefarious reasons or because they're fanciers. But the, mo- the, the first people who had it had a whole bunch of just, you know, the online casino was just mm. one of the catch-all things. Now it's a science fiction resource. Uh-huh. So it might be somebody who... They might be willing just to get, cough, cough it up because you're you. You know, it's your Yeah, I would have, if I had that, I would have just given it to you. <coughs> I would have just been like, hey, can you link my site to yours? All right, well, what I'll do is uh, we can contact them mm-hmm. and find out. I had a yeah. question for you guys about writing, uh, about writing series of books. Now... I, I would assume that sometimes you write a book and it just turns into a series, and that there are other times you actually set out to write a series. Mm-hmm. When you set out to write a series, now do you just lay out a rough sketch and then fill it in as you write, or do you try to lay out a pretty detailed sketch, or just write the whole thing at once and release it, you know, one at a time? Well, it's kind of hard to write the whole thing at once because uh, because that's a that's a tremendous amount of an investment of time. Generally, when you when you when you're making the decision of whether something is a series or a or a or a one shot, a one off, basically it, it it's the determination of what the scale of the problem that's being represented is. Uh, I mean, most horror novels are going to be single story, not series. Um, Novels because because yes because well, everyone dies at the end of it because the because the situation <laughs> the scale of the situation is something that is soluble within a single story right. and you can do a sequel later but it's not necessarily conceived <laughs> that way whereas something like a lot of the Star Wars uh, subseries is that the scale defines a number of novels two three four seventeen nineteen novels just depending on what it is so you you tend to have an idea in the beginning of whether it's going to be a series or not sometimes if you write a one off and they want more then it becomes a series. But then at that point you have to retrench and, and refigure out what it is you, 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 you know, what you're doing with it. And there are, there are also books where you will write a book as a one shot, and it makes so much of a splash, and it makes your publisher so much money that they pressure you. Mm-hmm. So I hear it. Nobody's happened. This hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> oh, but sure, uh, sure. but um, that they pressure you into doing something more, whether you really have a story in there or not, and that's. That's tricky. That's tricky and often is a failure because it, if you didn't have anything, any other story to tell and you try to tell one anyway, it's going to show. So when, when, you, develop, when you develop a series and you, uh, when you get the problem and you say, okay, this is a large enough problem, it's going to be a series, um, do you then just kind of do a rough outline and say, all right, I'll fill in the rest of that later and I'm just going to work on this one book now? Or do you kind of try to do a pretty detailed sketch of where everything's going to go. Well, well with the Wraith Squadron novels, I mean, they were, they were, the three of them were, um, were conceived of as a, as a trilogy. And so I, um, I started with the basic problem, which is Misfit Pilots versus Warlord Zinge. Yeah, pretty straightforward there. And I knew that there were certain things that I had to accomplish in the course of it. I had to 
create the squadron. I had to put the squadron through its through its uh, through its adolescence. I had to have it grow up into a into a into a genuine fighting machine of some consequence. And then about two thirds of the way along, uh, it had already been established in the courtship of Princess Leia that Han Solo was in a major component of the search for Zinge. Nice tie-in, by the way, to that <laughs> book I've always Oh, thank you. Uh, which meant that in the third novel, I would probably have the option to get uh, Han Solo for the entire length of the novel. So I had, you know, I had an idea for about half of the structure, and then the last third I knew I was going to have Solo. So I wrote, the, um, I wrote the outline for the first one, had some ideas for the subsequent two, and then I uh, got the outline of the first one approved, which is something that is a necessary step in the uh, in the um, in doing any Star Wars novel, and wrote the first one. So it was it was basically detailed and tenuous, and then fully detailed, fully realized at the beginning, and uh, and then I could go on to the next stage. Okay. Now I heard. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Go ahead. As you say, I heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's more than <coughs> than that that it's, it could be purely speculative that um, <coughs> your character and I'm probably going to butcher his name. The Jedi Master Joris... Joris Savioth. Thank you. Oh, I've always wondered how that was said. <laughs> that he was originally intended to be a clone of Obi-Wan? Yes, that oh. was the original plan. Uh, Lucasfilm uh, scotched that idea right in outline stage. And uh, in many ways it works better this way because <coughs> my next, my first and final Star Wars books, I call it that because Outbound Flight predates all the others, uh, but is, as far as I know it will be the last one, I'm certainly the last one I'm contracted for at the moment. Uh, the original Jorah Savioth is a major character. And if it stayed with the original idea, you couldn't have Obi-Wan doing what... That's true. ...what he would would have to do in the book. So it's just as well they did go ahead and, and cancel that one because we've gotten I've gotten more mileage, or I can get more mileage out of it this way. So um, I guess you're writing... I, I was... I didn't attend your previous your previous um, panel that y'all were doing because I was paranoid you were going to talk about episode three, and I'm spoiler free. None of us knew anything about. Well, I have three. no <laughs> idea. Maybe it just said you were talking about stuff after episode two between episode four, and I didn't want to be in there for that just because I'm purist. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I'm not I guess didn't finding any spoilers either myself. Oh, all right. Um, so I guess you're writing. I, my understanding is you're writing a book that's going to tie in um, your most recent book. Survivor's Quest? Yes. With, uh, is it going to be called Outbound Flight? That's the working title. I'm still looking for something better, but it's the story of the Outbound Flight mission 50 years before Survivor's Quest. It will show the young Thrawn, the actual, the original Jorah Savioth. Uh, a couple other of the characters will weave in and out. For example, uh, George Cardass is in there as well. All right. Uh, and, and so all these, all, all my seven books will be linked with plot lines and characters kind of weaving back and forth in between them. All right. So it'll be kind of a septology by the time it's all done. But I there are a lot of... Uh, Survivor's Quest is the discovery of the remains of Outbound Flight with a whole bunch of how did this happen or what was going on here at the end? Very many uh, open questions. All of yeah. which are answered when you see what actually happened to Outbound Flight when you read that story. So, I mean, the idea was... So it was a gimmick. Well, trying to get was, us to buy another book. Well, I mean, Outbound Flight was... <laughs> kind of, oh, I see how you isn't, are. Isn't that what continuing look at somebody else's series all about? Don't look at me that way. <laughs> no, actually, Outbound Flight was uh, contracted for before Survivor's Quest, but due to various... Uh, technical things, it couldn't come out until end of 05, where Survivor's Quest could slot in at 
uh, early 04, February of 04. So I thought that as long as Lucas is doing prequels, you know, if they're good enough for him, why not for me? We'll link the two books together. We'll, we'll, we'll leave some mysteries and some plot threads. She's hitting her head on the desk again. That's great. Uh, plot threads that are left mysterious at the end of Survivor's Quest that will be answered a year and a half later in Outbound Flight. I thought this was a clever idea until the reviews, until the reader reviews started coming in on Amazon.com and and everyone who didn't like it didn't like it because I didn't tie up the loose ends. Uh. So I, I thought the word had gotten out, but apparently hasn't. So get the word out. I'll go write you a nice review that says, shut up, everyone. Wait till his next book comes. Well, actually, a couple of people did mention in their reviews, but the ones who are still writing about Zahn, you know, hurried up and, fed, and finished it without finishing up the stuff, apparently haven't read those reviews uh. as well. So... So people, instead of just trusting that you will do what you've done in every other yeah. book, they assume that you've just apparently failed at the task on this one. This yeah, I mean, the idea that you started out with this this great mystery sort of thing and then turned it into an action adventure and and forgot about all the stuff it set up. Hmm. Well, I, I expect better than this of Zahn, you know, things like that. I have thought of a marvelous title for your new book. Yes, and I will be thoroughly offended if you don't use it. <laughs> it is called. Well, I love it when people say that. Don't tell our 25 <laughs> listeners that we don't like you. It is called. Listen to Requiem of the Outcast at www.starwarsfans.com. Wait, 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 wait. Did, did you not make, did, was it you that immortalized the 501st? Yes. yes. Notice his shirt? Yes, I saw that. I just That's yeah. why I thought. I just wanted to make sure. Um, Bear in you know, mind that I can tell the 501st to come and stomp your show. And, <laughs> but yeah. they like We've us. We've got friends in the 501st. They like too. us a lot. And, and I've made no, some no, of no. their costumes. We don't have friends uh, in the 501st. We're honorary members. But then I'm going to have an honorary commander. Then I'm going to have to bring a platoon to my Marines. You know what? I'm a commander. She knows Richard Lepomontier. He knows Ma- she knows Marty. I know him too. So, yeah. she, yeah. so there. Well, never mind. That cancels out. That. <laughs> She's but, gonna, you, know, yeah. you need some hollow vid personalities in the next book. Because what she'll do if yeah, <laughs> hollow vid personalities. Radio show personality. I would actually, since I obviously prefer. Mr. Allison, I would rather be in your book because as, as, as a mean, dirty trick was played on me earlier today. <laughs> I think they've, jumped, they've finished dumping the ice. Go what, ahead and tell them. What had happened was... What had, what, no, you got to say it like this. See, what had happened was... What had happened was... I was standing there. I had just come up the hall, super excited because I had got to speak to Aaron in his beautiful orange shirt, which I love. Thank you. It's great. Um, and you can't see it, I know, but trust me, it's great. You just take our word for it. I like here. it. <laughs> it's a crackling noise, you know. It's very loud. He like says he me. can find it in the claws in the dark from the heat signature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're interrupting my story. My stern mistress. He's just being mean to me all day. No. Um, so what had happened was, I was standing there. I walked up the hall. I was really excited. I was going to go tell my husband, oh, my gosh, we get to interview Aaron Allison. Oh, wow. You know, I've been reading his books for as long as I have been able to buy them, and I'm just super excited. And um, James Fulbright. Thank you. And, and my response would have been, no, no offense, sir, but my response would have been, we, we get to do what with who? Yeah. So anyway, I was really excited, and as James saw me, and he's like, what's the big smile on your face for? You look like, you know, I was like, oh. 
Oh, you'll never believe this. I was too, I, I too, too shy to ask for him to do it. You know, I have no problems asking, you know, actors and people who've been in Star Wars, hey, can we interview you? But, um, like I said, like I was explaining earlier to you, for me it's more personal since I'm such a reader to actually be with you guys. Um, and so I was explaining this to him, and I was just really excited. He was like, well, what about Tim Zahn? You don't want to, you don't want to interview him? And I was like, well, you know, he's not here. You know, they just kind of like, well, no, I'm just really excited about Aaron Elfin. I wasn't saying I didn't like Timothy Zahn. I was just trying to explain why I liked Aaron Elfin, why I was really excited. And he was like, oh, I see. You just don't like him. You don't like his writing or whatever. Just started going off. And I was like... Well, no, that, and before I could say anything, he's like, you know, he's standing right behind you. <laughs> James, James has seen me coming for the last, you know, 20 seconds or so, which is why he, he pulled this. So I turn around, and of course he's right there, and of course I'm like, he's never going to sign another book for me again. You in know, fact, I'm going to take gonna, back the signatures I did earlier. He's probably going to create some right character up. in his book who's like evil, horrible, and have me die some insane, fiery death. I mean, just no, put us in your book that. just to do that. Oh, yeah. Put us in your book just to do that. Janine, he's probably never going to need to sign another book for you again with that huge stack of books you took up to this signing. <laughs> you have no more books left. I drove four and a half hours to meet these men. I get, and I waited in line. Darn well going to get our autographs on. And everybody yeah. behind her really waited in line. All right, you know what? They should have been there ten minutes early like me. That's all I have to say. Yes, ma'am. Good morning, she's court. wearing Jedi robes. What, is, what are they going to complain about? Right? Exactly. Yeah. I have a lightsaber, too. It doesn't work, though. Unfortunately. Anyway. She has a C-130. It does work. Yes, and it carries the largest bomb in the military arsenal, I might like to point out. But anyway, I only give off, I, I give, I give, I give jet fuel to people. That's my job. Anyway, so yeah, that was the story. It was very Inject mean. the oil too? Never mind. Do the windows. Ooh, that look. Yes, yeah. writer, writers are very supportive. You, you probably noticed. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, if you'd like to go ahead and plug any of your previous stuff, oh, we're yes, running, we've got do. we've taken quite a bit of your time. Um, and what's uh, coming out next from you, Aaron? Next from me will probably be uh, Terminator Hunt, which is the follow-up to Terminator Dreams, which I did last November. It's uh, set in the Terminator Three universe. No. Yes. <laughs> now, it was also my first hardback, so uh, oh, I was yeah. very pleased. Yes. Really? And uh, I'm working on um, a couple of game supplements as well because I, I, I used to write uh, games almost full time. I'm hmm. uh, doing uh, GURPS Crime, which is an organized crime source book for the GURPS game, and then uh, turning to the, uh, my role as the number two writer on the reissue of Paranoia, the role-playing game. And after that, I have a. Uh, I'm doing three books set in the Deus Ex universe, the computer game universe. And do you once need any radio show host personalities in those books? Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. And once that's done, you, you know you could write your own book. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I got my degree in history teaching, and I had to write a 30-page um, my my senior thesis, uh -huh. and I thought I was going to kill myself. I love to read. I have been. I, I was one of those kids who my parents would come and yell at me for to turn off my flashlight because I'd be in bed reading. Um, but I cannot write. I don't have the patience for it. But I will read all day if cool. I could. Well, we, like we write, you read. This is great. This is, I think, Good the one thing my husband and I have going together. You know? We both read we a both whole We both read lot. a whole lot. A lot. We've got... A virtual library. Not virtual, literally. A library in our house. Oh, yeah. It looks just like a library. Cool. Anyway, it's we totally interrupted That's quite all right. That's we totally interrupted you. And I will, uh, I'll invite people to come to my website. It's www.aaronolston.com. And um, up there you can find out, uh, you know, news page about what I'm up to, my, my appearance schedule, 
uh, frequently asked questions files. I've also got a uh, link to a downloadable copy of Doc Shi, which is one of my novels from, ni- from the 1990s. And uh, so they can download and, and try out one of my works for free. All right. Uh, the second book of a young adult series I'm working on is coming out in June. It's called Dragon and Soldier. It's part of the Dragonback series. Uh, first book has just come out in paperback, Dragon and Thief. Um, this has been a fun fun series to do it's, uh, uh, as a young adult, but adults who have read it have liked it as well. Uh, and I have a, a sort of a, a, a modern urban science fiction thriller coming out in September from Tor called The Green and the Gray, about two groups of aliens who've been living in New York City since they arrived in 1928 at Ellis Island in different parts, refugees from uh, a war between them, and they have just recently rediscovered each other, and there's a faction on both sides that wants to restart the war with Manhattan in the middle of it. Very men in blackish here. Uh, no, my, I'm just kidding. My agent is uh, tag, tagging it as men in black meets Spider-Man meet Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> you know, it I is, like it is, it is. It's exactly. So you have a character that's kind of the Romeo and Juliet type of thing? Uh, you, well, we'll get into that when you, when you read it. But oh, there's, there's certain, oh uh, you're assuming you're going to get him to read it? He loves military. He reads this stuff all the time. Well, that's not true. I read a lot of fiction as well. You can work on it. Oh, I will. Don't worry. I will, he will read those extra books. Thank you. Just give him a couple years. Sorry. <laughs> I'll get there. Please continue. And then, uh, again, the last Star Wars book coming out at the end of 05 sometime. All right. That should, that should keep me busy for a bit. Yeah. And as he told us before, he does not yet have a website. No, but we're people are working on me on that. But I have found, uh, if you are looking for any information on him on the web, um, things that I have found... Um, Amazon.com actually, I believe, has a couple bio links and things like that. And if you just do a, do a word search for his name, and you should be able to find some things and, and be able to track down appearances if you really want to work. Yeah, there are people out there who have websites yeah. that uh, talk about what I'm doing. So I just need something official to go up my own. Okay, and I had a real here. quick question for you guys. Last question before we get out of here. Um, we obviously, you know, are. Basically, nine to fivers. We have, we all have jobs. Janine and I are in the military. Rich is a is a computer guy, and for fun on the side, you know, as as enjoyment, we we read science fiction. Uh, we, you know, Janine and Rich are very into Star Wars and the whole Star Wars universe and everything. So, science fiction is kind of a hobby for us. You guys are science fiction writers. So, what does a science fiction writer do as a hobby? Do you read science fiction? I can't read science fiction anymore. It's too much like work. It's I find myself. <laughs> Analyzing, I feel like an editor. I'll, list, I'll be watching the wording, watching the plot, watching the character development, dialogue. I can't relax to it anymore. Uh, mostly, what I read these days is nonfiction. I'm doing a lot of World War II reading and, and, and uh, such as that, but I can hardly read fiction anymore and really get any enjoyment out of it. Oh, well, the two yeah. of you have a lot to talk about. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, if you, when, you, when you've been writing fiction for a long time. Uh, you become far more critical, whether you want to or not, of what you're reading. And if it's in your specific genre, your specific field, you become a lot more inclined to just hurl it across the room if it's not quite up to the, the standards <laughs> you're expecting anymore. So I read, um, what fiction I read tends to fall in the, into, into mystery, thriller, horror categories uh, instead of science fiction fantasy. I will occasionally read some science fiction fantasy when it's uh, a friend or a bright new talent that people are recommending to me out of, out of, you know, out of all fields. Um, I do read a lot of nonfiction. I, I really like um, um, anthropology, uh, history, mythology. Uh, I, I especially enjoy uh, speculations about uh, Bronze Age Europe, which is prehistory, but uh, but 
you know, leads right directly into the historical period and is, is not, not very well understood. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of nonfiction research that goes into writing your books. You know what? I think that we can fully understand where you guys are coming from there. I mean, I've had many, like the 501st, we have a lot of friends in the 501st, and I know many of them have, hey, you know, Janine, you need to, you can get in the 501st so easily, you can make yourself some Jedi robes or something, and hey, we got to put your husband in some Stormtrooper armor. And he and I are like, oh my gosh, we love Star Wars so much, but I do not need another executive officer and commanding officer in my life. I don't want to play G.I. Joe on the weekends, but I do it every day. Well, I mean, you guys in the military, you don't go off on weekends and start other wars. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. <laughs> and that's why, that's why we love the 501st, and we love whenever we get to be around them, and like, you know, we're going to a party later on this evening with them, because so many of our friends are, are there, but we, They're can't, fun we can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, we can't I can't call ourselves. some guys, sir. I can't do it. <laughs> but I have to do it every day at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I totally understand where y'all are coming from, which is kind of unfortunate, because there's a lot of good sci-fi out there. There is, there is, but um, I still enjoy movies, science fiction movies, all, movies of all varieties. I can't watch military movies anymore. Unless they're well made. Yeah. There's only a couple. But the more recent ones, I just... Mm-hmm. For the same reason. For the same reason. We see the errors in the internal logic in the in the science fiction movies. Yes. You see the, the glaring errors in the military and it's annoying. It's like it'll get. I'm sure this is how it is for you guys. It'll get under your skin and then you focus on it and you can't enjoy the rest of the good stuff because you get so annoyed. Yes. And the irritating, wrong thing. It spoils it. And the irritating thing is it doesn't take that much more effort to get it right. Mm hmm. So I don't know what your all's schedule is, so we probably should get going because you yeah. probably have stuff to be at. Eventually. We're here to talk to people. Your people? We're talking? Okay. You guys must Wrong. love people like my husband who don't get overawed by you initially because he's just like, yeah, we, we like all kinds. It's, I mean, fans it's, are not quite so fans. It's honor. <laughs> it, it's, you know, kind of cool to be adored, but it's also kind of... Weird. Well, it was weird, yeah, because... Mm-hmm. The very concept of having fans is yeah. still weird to me after 20 years. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm quite serious. It, it's, 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 it's an odd notion. This person will come and say, I'm a big fan of yours, and I'll say, thank you, but inside I'm thinking... That's so very odd because you know in my mind I'm the guy who does the dishes and takes out the takes out the the, the, the trash and uh, and sits on on my on my rear end for eight or twelve hours a day writing and and that's there's there's no celebrity in that yeah you know so so to have a fan is weird so on a very much 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 smaller scale we're starting to encounter that ourselves at um, I am we get people who email us and they're like hey Janine blah, blah, blah. nobody I'm else like, on the show has any fans <laughs> oh, no that is not true <laughs> yes it is you have a good one liner every once in a while sweetie and it's people every once I'm not very uh, yeah it, it, every once in a while we Mostly all build up mm-hmm. for her to make the good big deliveries yeah. so right. she gets the set up and we get the set up we're all a team I'm the straight guy yeah. Yeah. he is yeah it's actually it's a, it works out really well we've got the, the normal family man Who's the fan? I didn't want to say anything. Whose idea was a show? We've got me, the fan extraordinaire, who is probably scary, and then we've got the non-fan who brings a sense of reason and balance. I like Star Wars. Do you? I don't know if you're aware of it, but in the days of vaudeville, the straight men usually got or often got paid more than the comic. Yep. There you go. Oddly enough, he does. Hey, we look at a real world person. That's what broke up happening. (laughs) And you know, and you know why he got paid better? You know why. He controls the timing. Mm. Yeah. 
and the timing is harder to find than a guy who can deliver jokes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also it's also reflective of what you see in, in kung fu movies, where the uh, where the guy who plays the villain uh, is usually not just a, a, the superior actor and martial artist. He's so good an actor and martial artist they can make an actor who is much younger and much less skilled look better. Ah. And that's that's why that's why he's the real pro of the of the, of yep. the production. Well, I've always so been the, a fan so, of the villain. So in vaudeville, the guy the guy who gets the other guy to say makeup gets paid more than the midget who comes running out with the big makeup powder puff. And gets you and the midget, this man. I swear, he would pay money to watch midgets run if he could. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you something that make you really happy then. I was in a blockbuster the other day and saw a bunch of movies in the cutout bin, and one of them was a movie about midget vampires. It's called Ankle Biters. <laughs> no! No way! <laughs> Alternatively, get yourself a set of binoculars, turn them the wrong way. You realize that he's going to tell everyone about this and laugh about it. That's going to be a running gag on the show. Right? It, it will. Biters. Ankle biters. That's going to be a regular, regular oh, bit that now. That's too funny. Wow, wasn't that a great interview? <laughs> but, but didn't we just tell him goodbye like three seconds ago? Yes, but thanks to the magic of radio and oh. editing. Ooh. Oh, was like, like an hour. That was like an hour later. Man. You know what it is? It's like it's like Wayne's World with the. <laughs> you can change the world with that. That's we great. Were, Very true. We were time traveling, man. It's like the time bandits, only we're not midgets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and thank you. I don't remember who it was, but thank you to whoever posted that uh, that picture from Ankle Biters on the Galactic oh, Senate, yes. on the Galactic Senate <laughs> message boards. That was yes, phenomenal. yes, yes. If anybody has any footage of midgets. It's running. Please send it to us. <laughs> send it to Ron. <laughs> uh, we really hope you enjoyed the uh, the interview. Um, I must say that uh, my two co-hosts here, Ron and Janine, did a fantastic job. That and was I their... still like big butts. <laughs> and, and I cannot lie. You yeah, other you... brothers can't deny. Well, the, when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face, <laughs> what do you get? Sprung. <laughs> <laughs> Little in the middle, but you got much back. <laughs> you know, for anybody who was wondering um, why Baby Got Back was on the uh, the end of last month's episode, that's why, as a precursor to this month, um, I have to say that, that really shocked me and surprised me. But, you know, I thought it was really funny, and I thought you guys did a fantastic job this being your... Uh, very impromptu um, interview since, you know, we weren't even planning on doing any interviews. Um, and I, I just thought you guys did a great job. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the only rough spot was when the guy started running the ice machine in the background. That was... But you know, again, thanks to the, the magic of editing... It wasn't there. It's not there. You mean they didn't hear it? No. You mean, wait, wait, you mean you cut out the rough spots? Yes, I did. Wow. Do you think Alan Dean Foster would like it if I sang Baby Got Back to him? I don't know. I think you ought to pick something like uh, Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, you got to pick something different. You it, can't sing the same sing the same thing every time. So I can go like, stop, clever, and listen. <laughs> That's exactly the, the brand, brand new adventure. <laughs> you know what's sad is that you know the words. <laughs> Sorry, the only thing I can do is uh, regulators from Warren G. You know what, you know what came on the radio today? What's that? The Humpty Dance is the dance to the Humpty Baby. Oh, man, it makes me want to go out and, you know, uh, watch TV at 2 o'clock in the morning to get one of those CDs that they sell on the radio with uh, Urban Jams, you know, from, like, all the 80s. Our 14-year-old foster son was in the, was in the car with me, and he, and he turns to me, and he just looks at me with this incredulous look on his face, and he says, this song really sucks. 
And I said, you think? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know what's really funny is this was hugely popular when it came out. I mean, you couldn't go to a dance without hearing this song. And he just looked at me like old people were stupid. <laughs> and I realized at that moment, I'm old. Yes. You know, I, I realized I was old when I was listening to um, the classic rock station and started hearing stuff from U2's The Joshua Tree. I was like, wow, that came out when I was in high school. Yeah. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll start to play the Aerosmith, like, not from the 60s or the 70s, but they'll start to play, uh, you know, like, crazy. You know? <laughs> Loving an elevator. Oh, yeah. Or, like, on the oldie station where they play all the hits from the 50s and the 60s. Then you're listening, and all of a sudden they start playing some 70s, late 70s. Yeah, on the, not on like, the classic rock, but the oldies. On right. the oldies that's, station, that's you're like, worst. when did 70s become oldies? Yeah. Because, yeah, I was born in 79, you know. Pretty soon, give it another 10 years, and 80s are going to be oldies. Yeah. Ah! We'll start to, and, and it'll hit that cycle where um, all the 80s stuff will be popular again, and people will be dressing like Devo and oh, Rock and Sigo oh, no. and stuff like that. No, I, you know what? I, I could live without that ever <laughs> coming back. Tight roll jeans. Oh, I used to do that. All right. Well, um, now at the very end of this episode, we're going to be putting some... I, at first, I, I thought of them as outtakes, but they, well, they really aren't outtakes. They just wouldn't fit because of the order that we... Uh, when we spoke to uh, Timothy and, and Aaron, that's right, we're on first name basis now. And uh, uh, Mr. We, Zahn and Mr. Alston. Yeah, okay. Steal my thunder. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's basically us kind of warming them up at first. We just we just sat around and started talking, and we found a, a common theme, a common thread that uh, that all of us enjoyed, and that's that's Monty Python. And uh, here's a little bit um, what they thought of Monty Python, and it and, and it if also. If you're a flying circus fan, you should really enjoy it. Yes, and there was there's a few other things that we talk about in there, and it it was just such a, a dynamic piece to to hear uh, both uh, Zahn and Alston the way they would kid around with each other. You start to see the camaraderie that they had uh, between each other, which of course you heard a little bit about their history together um, in, during the interview. But also just to hear how comfortable they were talking to us and everything. Yeah, it just shows what it just shows that they're you know they're just regular guys. I mean, right? You know, they're writers. They're they're famous within within certain sets, but they're just regular guys. You know, and they 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 uh, they treat people like regular guys, and they're just uh, they're just really nice people. Yeah, and they even spoke in the interview about um, celebrity being such a foreign thing to them, even though they are, you know, they are famous. But it is something that. Uh, that just seems odd. All I know is, celebrity. for me, it was super cool. If I could have had Stackpole in there, I mean, bam, there would have been my three favorite <clears throat> Star Wars authors. Yeah, we, we... Not knocking any of the other Star Wars authors right now, just saying that those three happen to be the three that have captured me the best. And and I'm a big reader. I mean, the, the novels are what got me into Star Wars, and so to me this was high point. Requiem of the Outcast has... This has made it, you know, this is, totally This is the pinnacle. We've, we've peaked. We've, I really don't it's care. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, I really don't <laughs> care if I interview after this, you know. Uh, whatever. I got to interview Timothy Zahn and Aaron Allison together. And hopefully, and Michael Stackpole did say in the future he would be more than happy to interview with us. Yeah, pretty soon. You, you know what? It's all downhill from here. Pretty soon, a couple of months from now, we'll be interviewing, like, the guy who freaking played 
the Marcy's husband on Married with Children or something. Or oh, yeah, the guy who jumped the shark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he jumped the shark on, like, three shows. At least, every time he's in something, it's it's downhill from there. That's right. Revenge of the Nerds movies, after after the the first one, they all sucked. Yeah, yeah. Revenge of the Nerds movies, uh, it was uh, Love Boat. Yeah. yeah, love boat. Um, uh, happy yeah, days. Happy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, no, he, happy days jumped the shark when Fonzie jumped. Literally the shark. jumped the shark. But he was shark. on happy days. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, anyway, um, here's. <laughs> don't, don't put that guy on your sitcom. Yeah, or or in your fan audio or fan film or anything like that. Um, so, well, here's the um, here's our outtake slash warming up of the. Uh, of our interviewees. Hope you enjoy it. We had an absolute blast talking to them. And we'll see you guys uh, back at, at StarWarsFanWorks.com, the home of Star Wars Internet Fan Audio, next month for our fight episode and also featuring the rebuttals from Nathan Butler and um, Keith Abbott from uh, Rise of Nobility. Yeah, that dude from Rise of Nobility, Keith Abbott. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hi, Keith! Yeah. Uh, yes. Monty Python zombies? Yes. yes. <gasps> Nobody knows who those are. And My so brain I... hurts. <laughs> It'll have to come out. <laughs> Guys with diapers on their heads. Unfortunately, I don't have a kerchief, but you know. <laughs> well, if we take my big ass. Or maybe napkin. Good point. <laughs> Tie those corners together, yeah. I remember when I was 12, they were doing a New Year's Day, Comedy Central was doing New Year's Day, Monty Pythonathon. Mm-hmm. And my two sisters and two brothers and I literally sat up and watched it. And mm-hmm. I think we all started to doze off around 2, 3 a.m. They showed every <laughs> single episode of Flying Circus. Jeez. And my parents were pissed. Because for days, weeks, we sat there just quoting from Monty Python. And they're like, oh. Is that most dangerous of animals, a clever sheep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today we're going to learn how to defend against the banana. <laughs> What's about a pointed stick? <laughs> the blamage. A pointed. You see here the subcutaneous layer of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> do you know the, is it the German episode where they do... I think they're doing... They do the lumberjack song in German. I know, but they've got the one with, where they're doing the cows and they're doing like Emily Bronte, Emily Bronte's oh. thing with the cows. Heathcliff. Mm-hmm. I remember Wuthering Heights by some of them. Yes, and they do it. They do it also with cows. Julius Caesar on the oldest lamp. Yeah. Yes. At two. Hey, he's dying. I like the mouse piano. Mm-hmm. That one just when he oh, does that, that just the the exact was like oh, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's one of those gosh. yeah it's one of those effects like uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd in the Amazing Bassomatic where you just kind of go oh yep <laughs> well, we tried because we would sit there and we would quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail all the time on I believe it was IQM two we were going to our first convention mm-hmm. my husband was not we were stationed apart for a year and a half so he was in Pensacola at the time. And we were going, and we had my foster son with us. And he's 13, so he's never seen it. And so he and I are quoting from it back and forth, back and forth. And we're listening to audio clips of it and just starting to quote from Life of Brian. And he's like, hey, this is funny. And he thinks it's funny. So we decide that we're going to watch it together. So one weekend when Ron's visiting, we put it in. He makes it maybe 20, 30 minutes way through. And he's like, this is stupid. Oh, dear. (laughs) Monty Python always had trouble with pacing. Maybe it's a British pacing style or something, but some of their stuff was very good. Some of it was get on with it type yes. of thing for American audiences, at yeah. least. You know, 
Yeah, they even but do that. Some people Monty call Python. me Tim. <laughs> yes! I don't and of that. course, I like that line for oh, some, for some reason. Oh, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> Actually, I remember an old interview that was done a. a, a couldn't have been on the internet. It must have been just a, a, a mail. Somebody mailed me the, the questions and, and such for me to mail back mm-hmm. years ago. And the last question on there was what's the airspeed of an unladen swallow? Well, there's a whole website yes, dedicated there to is. it. Yes, mm-hmm. It's, and it's well, I mean, but this was just normal interview questions, and suddenly this one showed up. So, yeah, what do you mean, I'm African or, Amer- African or European? 